Hi, welcome to the Vine Church podcast. This week we've got a great speaker. Hope you enjoy it. Morning. Have we got the slides? I don't know if this is working. Can I just do something just to check? Oh, nope. Yep. Woo! Okay. How are we doing? Good. Awesome. Who got who gave me an awesome there? Good to hear. Good to, good to meet fellow awesome people. It's great. Oh, anyway, good morning. Over the next few weeks, what we're going to be looking at are heroes. Heroes of faith. And here is my hero, King David. See his heroic pose and check out his traditional shepherd's boy's garb. King David, not the real one, not not this one, is one of the most clearly recorded characters in the Bible. He's one of the most written about. He's one of the ones that's made a leap from biblical record to um, contemporary culture. His exploits are recorded in books, film, even sports journalists get to mention him and reference him every time the wee team knocks the big team out of the Scottish Cup. Malcolm Gladwell's book, David and Goliath, was an international bestseller. I don't know if some of you have read it or heard of it, but last year, Louis Giglio, or Giglio, wrote a very important book as well, and it was a Christian bestseller, Goliath Must Fall. David was a giant killer, a famous warrior, a wealthy king, a rock star, a poet, the writer of half of the Psalms. He was a hero, and he's always kind of been a hero of mine. I remember being on a a weekend retreat in my first year of being a Christian and being inspired by a talk that was given on David. And later on over tea and home baking, a more mature religious brother remarked that he couldn't see what was to admire in an adulterous liar and murderer. That brother is no longer with us. I don't mean in a gone home to meet the Lord sense. I just mean he's simply blessing another congregation with his wisdom. You see, that's kind of the point of David. He's a warts and all sort of hero. This is me. Great highs, terrible lows, full of passion and faith and godly strength and human weakness. But I don't need to make apologies for David. The fact that he's included in the list of heroes of faith in Hebrews 11 will probably do for me. But almost every aspect of his life and character has been written about. It's been spoken about. It's been analyzed by better people than me. So I'll make no attempt over the next half hour or so to give you the complete distilled wisdom on David. But there is something that I've become a little bit excited about recently, and I'll attempt to share some of that with you this morning. Right. Has anybody been to a silent disco? I said silent. It's just a show of hands will do. No whoops. (laughs) So one or two, one or two have been to a silent disco. It's a hilarious setup, the silent disco. Everybody has their own set of headphones with three different channels, and each of these channels is signified by a different colored light. So everyone's in their own world and dancing to their own beat. 
Now, there's a metaphor for modern life, eh? But anyway, it's great fun. And you've got to do it once in your life. I went on Wednesday, just past. But if I'm being honest, though, I went under protest. I'm a busy guy. I've got serious grown-up things to do. I've got no time for that nonsense. And Jill can confirm this. We had five yogurts in the fridge, best before date, Thursday. Five. That's a lot of stuff on my mind. <laughs> Pressure. Anyway, Jimmy often talks about how God sets you up. And like I say, I'm there under protest. But I'm not crazy. I mean, I had my Sunday smile on. I'm getting to that, but I did eventually enjoy it. That's the point. But I'm getting <sighs> Being heckled by my wife. Anyway, I had my best Sunday smile on, but inside I was still kind of muttering away. But f- a funny thing happens at a silent disco, though. Like I say, I'm lost in my own world, and I'm on the green channel, and I'm listening to groovy green music. And then I look up. And I see about a hundred people, and they're all in front of me, and they're all singing, and they're all going nuts, and they're on the red channel. So I could have just flicked to the red channel and found out what they were doing, but I didn't. I took my headphones off. Now that's when it gets weird, because when you take your headphones off at a silent disco, you realize that everything else is silent, apart from a hundred people at the top of their lungs, screaming and singing and shouting, completely out of tune. It's the maddest thing ever. It's surreal. But anyway, there I was, listening to these hundred people singing along with no backing track. And that's when it happened. God sneaked up on me. Bang. See, we look for God in the fire or in the earthquake. But sometimes he's really just speaking in a still, small voice. Even in a silent disco. I'm saying it was a still, small voice. I actually went... When it hit me, it was more like a punch in the stomach. Anyway, this is a song that everybody was singing. Have we got that clip? Can we play that just now, please? I am not a stranger to the dark. Hide away, they say, cause we don't want your broken parts. I learned to be ashamed of all my scars. Run away, they say, no one will love you as you are. But I won't let them break me down to dust. I know that there's a place for us, for we are glorious. When the sharpest words Wanna cut me down I'm gonna send a blood Gonna drown a mound I am brave I am bruised I am who I'm meant to be This is me Look out cause here I come And I'm marching on To the beat I drum I'm not scared To be seen I make no apologies This is me
This is me. Well, it's clearly not me. I'm better shaved, but um, yeah, it was weird because it's not a very disco-y song, is it? But the people were really into it at the silent disco in the same way that people really got into this film. It connects. It's a bit of an underdog story and it's about overcoming adversity. And in a way that makes it a kind of timeless story. But it's also a very contemporary theme. So anyway, the people singing along to me, they seem to be making a, a plea. This is me. Accept me. Approve of me. This is me. I get it. It's a very real and very human cry. But there's also a very real danger that then it all becomes about me. So all that passion, all that emotion, all that angst, all that fight, we hear it everywhere in our media these days, shouting louder and louder to be heard. It's one thing to crave approval and acceptance. It's a heart cry. It, as a people of compassion and love, I hope that we do hear people when they cry out like this. But it's another thing to demand it. And it's still another thing to take it, or try to take it by force. Yet, that's sometimes where we are in society nowadays. Militant identity politics is becoming the issue of our time. Look out, because here I come. I'm marching to the beat, I drum. I'm not scared to be seen. I make no apologies. This is me. It's almost the soundtrack to a generation. And there's a bit of a jump here from a cry to be seen, to be accepted, to be loved. Identity politics seems to be about the fight for approval, overcoming perceived oppressors, aggressive self-justification even, desiring acceptance and approval so much that you try and force and legislate others to accept and love and approve of you. It's a fight and it's a cause for many people. Please understand, please hear what I'm saying. I'm not criticizing as such. I hear that there's a real human cry in all of this. But here's what saddens me, and I believe it does sadden the heart of God. It's the wrong fight. It's a false flag. God sees you, and God loves you. He justifies you, and he defends you. We don't have to fight in our own strength. We don't have to fight at all. We have to surrender. And then we can learn to fight the real fight and fight it in the right way. 
Okay. Anyone else want to look at some scripture? Our song lyrics not quite cutting it for us. Okay. 1 Samuel 16. I'll read it out. Please follow it in your Bible, if you can, or your app, or whatever. Or look it up at home. I, I absolutely encourage you to do that. And go through it yourself, and in your own time. But here's, I'll read it through, and we'll have some thoughts on it. So bear with me as I read. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, and be on your way. In modern language, dry your eyes, mate. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. Saul's the king. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what to do. You're to anoint for me the one that I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. Now, this is important. The man of God, Samuel, was revered, even feared. I'll come back to that in a minute. And so they asked him, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, this is what I want us to catch. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. And this is what we're talking about. God sees you. He sees beyond the things that others see. You don't have to fight for his attention. He already sees your heart. Continuing on, verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then made Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Now I've got to be honest, I'd missed this bit before. Remember, Samuel was a man of God who everybody trembled before, but Jesse hadn't been straight with him. He hadn't brought all of his sons. Why was he hiding David? And why was he trying to sideline David? Eventually he says, There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We'll not sit down till he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing in health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. God does not look at the things that others judge us on. He sees our hearts. He sees us. He knows us. 
so we can stop fighting for attention, stop fighting for approval. God sees us even when we've been sidelined by everyone else. We can relax. We don't need to demand. God is on our side. And he will show us his favor in his time. What we need to do in the meantime is to trust him, to have faith. Okay, we'll fast forward a bit now, and we'll pick up the story in the next chapter, 1 Samuel 17. And this is where we see David's faith at work. I'll give you a second just to get there if you're following in your Bible. Just a second, though, because it's only over the page. Okay. By this time, the Philistine giant Goliath has been taunting the army of Israel, and they're now cowering in fear, fear being the opposite of faith. David was sent to bring food to his older brothers on the front line. He's not a soldier, but he hears the taunts, and he's simply no having it. How dare someone mock the army of God? And he makes it known that he'll take on the giant himself. Eventually, word gets round, and he's brought before Saul. So in verse 32, David says to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. He's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, I struck it, and I killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will just be like one of them because he's defied the armies of God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go on, the Lord be with you. So far, so full of faith, except Saul's hedging his bets. Because in the next verse it says, Then Saul dressed up David in his own tunic. He put on a coat of armor, his coat of armor, and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I can't go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. And so he took them off. See, Saul's armor did not fit. They were not part of David's identity. We have to be confident. Confident enough to be the people that we're called to be. Someone else's armor does not fit. Someone else's call is not our call. We have to trust in God's call in our lives. We do believe that God has a call in our lives. That he did rescue us for purpose, for his purpose, and for his glory. We do believe I'm speaking to the right people. Yeah? Yes. God has his hand on your life. God did rescue you for a plan, according to his plan, according to his purposes. He does have a purpose for your life. His hand is upon your life. You do have a call upon your life. Whether you're fully 
accepted that yet or not, whether you fully understand it yet or not, God has a call on every one of our lives as we belong to Him, as we are His. He has a call on our lives. But we need to develop faith in what God says about us. We need to truly understand and believe and stand upon what God says about us. Now, in order for us to do that, we need to hear what God says about us. So, what I'm saying is we need to know and hear and understand our shepherd's voice. We need to spend time with him. So, anyway, verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, sling in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. We know the rest of the story, but I'll just read it through because there are a couple other things in it. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked over and saw that David was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And, the Philist and he cursed David by the Philistine gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Interesting. He didn't come in his own strength. He didn't come in his own name. His identity was completely taken up within the Lord Almighty. That's, that's where his strength is. That's whose name he is coming in. That's whose name we are living in also. Let's keep that in mind as we go on. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I'll give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you, give it, give you all into our hands. Now, the rest is history. We know that story. The first thing that strikes you, though, the thing that makes and marks David out as a hero of faith is David's absolute certainty. He's got absolute faith in God. He stepped out in front of the whole nation and stood up, as our baseball-playing friends might say, up to the plate. But he stood up in front of everyone. There's no hiding place here. It's in the valley in front of the whole army of two nations, not just his own. No hiding place, but he stood up. Absolute faith. He is secure. He's not fighting other battles for recognition or any other thing. He knows who he is. And he knows, more importantly, whose he is. Okay, another thing to notice about David is he doesn't check to see if God is on his side. There's no pleading or deep prayer or second guessing with David. Rather than waiting for a confirmation that God is on his side, he seems only to be concerned with one thing, and that is ensuring that he is on God's side and walking in faith with him. We need to, know, we need to walk closely with God to know his will. Okay, there's many more aspects of David that we could be looking at today. And I'm going to have to limit myself here. I'm down to the last few minutes already. But I read a fascinating book recently. It's called Becoming a Superhero. 
a pocket guide to the life of David. And the author, Johnny Enlow, pulled out a couple of fantastically named insights for us. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the lion of rejection and the bear of insignificance. Yeah. Stick with me. He calls them the lion of rejection, the bear of insignificance, and maybe not the catchiest names. But we speak a lot in church circles about overcoming giants, anger, fear, addiction, whatever. But I was keen to find out about facing lions and bears too. So here's the lion of rejection. David had faced and overcome rejection. Going back a chapter, chapter 16, his own dad had practically denied him when Samuel came to visit. Interestingly, in Enlow's book, he makes a case for querying the legitimacy of David's birth. I'm not going to go into all that just now. But he definitely did not seem to be accepted by the other brothers. And when he arrived at the battle site early in chapter 17 to bring the supplies, he was very quickly put down by Eliab. It's not difficult to imagine the time that he spent alone as a shepherd wandering in the wilderness, that perhaps it's here where he developed his habit of pouring out his heart to God. The habit which we later read in these very honest and very uh, forthright psalms that he wrote. He's developed a habit here, let's not miss this, of pouring out his heart to God. But that's where he faced up to his rejection when he was out there, seemingly on his own, but not really. He was with God. He faced up to rejection. He fought his battles there. And that's where the relationship grew, and in turn, knowledge grew, and friendship with God. And he defeated rejection in that secret place, that unseen place, and learned to seek only the approval of God. Remember, verse 28, when Eliab, I'll just read it, verse 28, when Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here, and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are, how wicked your heart is. You only came down to the battle to watch. David's response was, now what have I done? Can't I even speak? Then he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. He wouldn't be deflected at all from the calling. I mean, he was being brought down by his older brother. I don't know if anyone knows how that feels. I'm, I'm the older brother. I have no idea how that feels. But I can imagine. But he was being brought down. And it just bounced off. He completely dingied him. Water over duck's back. Not interested. He just turned to the next person and said, do you hear what this guy's saying? We've got to do something about this. He just completely ignored it. The rejection didn't faze him at all. He wouldn't be deflected from the call on his life. No more fear of rejection. That's a free place to be. Anyway, next one. The bear of insignificance. Could you imagine? <laughs> could, you, could you imagine? Sorry, I'm just thinking. Imagine going to build a bear and thinking, hey, I'm going to do the bear of insignificance. No, it's, it's never going to fly that one, is it? Anyway, <coughs> Goliath was only the latest in a lifetime of people to regard David as insignificant. Verse 42 says, He looked over and he saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome. 
and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? When he turned up at the battle, his brothers had even forgotten that this was the guy that was anointed as a future king in their presence. Even they forgot. That's how insignificant David appeared to them. They even forgot about the whole thing with Samuel and the anointing, the oil, the, all that. They forgot about it. They just spoke to him dismissively as a little shepherd boy. And there was a sense of disgust in Eliab's tone when he asked who was looking after his few sheep. But David wasn't fighting for significance. He wasn't looking for God to back him up, to be on his side. He simply and humbly concerned himself with being on God's side. We need to only concern ourselves with God's significance. We don't need to worry about our own. He's our God. So I'm going to close in a moment. But this is probably the main point I'd like to make today. If you can overcome your rejection and insignificance, then your giant is a piece of cake. Remember, we spend a lot of time talking about facing our giants. But if we can overcome our rejection and our insignificance, the giant's a piece of cake. And essentially, this is a point that David was making to Saul also. Verse 6, he says, Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This Philistine will be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David had already stepped up and faced his biggest battles. Slaying the giant was one of the easiest things that he'd done. In fact, the battle was a bit of an anticlimax. It was over in seconds. David's family didn't believe in him. Saul tried to change his identity with the armor. Goliath was even offended that David dared to face him. And John Enlow says this in his book. I'll just read this quote. Life's extremely hard when no one believes in you, especially those closest to you. But not being believed in is really just a bear that needs killed. David had now become so intimately connected to God that when they didn't believe in him, it was like water of a duck's back. In other words, he became almost bulletproof. I mean, the lyric there about the bullets sting your skin or whatever it was, doesn't affect David. It'd be nice to be believed in, but he didn't need it. He knew who he was in God, and it, this gave him this unshakable foundation that allowed him to access the superhuman call and the supernatural strength that was upon his life. Enlo says, please do not doubt that we are also called to be heroes as well. Daniel, Daniel 11:32 puts it this way, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. The people who know their God. Am I looking at the people who know their God today? The people who know their God will carry out great exploits. There are things that we, that you, that I are called to do. And they're not simple. They are great. Everyone's great is different. My great is different to your great is different to their great. But there's a call. And the people who know their God 
shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Our significance isn't in us. We don't need to fight for our significance. Our significance is in God. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. I think that's what I'm coming to this morning. Let's not be a people who shrink back from great exploits. Let's not hide. God does not reject us, but let's remember that it's God who's significant. David is a hero of faith, but he fought and won his biggest battles out of sight so that when the moment came, he was ready. We need to fight the real fight, not the the phony fights that we set up, the people who have offended us, the people that have rejected us, the people who don't think that we're significant, the false flag. No, we need to fight the real fight. Life can be a battle. But often we're fighting the wrong fight and the wrong way. We battle not against flesh and blood. And it's not always against powers and principalities either. Often we need to win the battle over ourselves and surrender to God. The battle is the Lord's. Be confident. I believe that there's a need for people to step out onto the field and do battle. There's a time to fight, and there are people to fight for. Who, who's going to do that? But just remember this one thing. The battle is the Lord's. We just need to step out onto the field. What we need is the faith to step out onto the field. Win your own battles in preparation so that you'll be ready to step out in faith for the sake of others. Like David, we need to find strength in God. Be strong in Him. Know Him more. Step out in faith. Be people who say, this is me, but this is my God. Thanks for listening. We'll finish there. God bless you.